Alright, usually at this point I tell you where to open your Bibles to, but I'm not going to do that just yet. Because we're usually in our continuation of our study, but we just finished Hebrews. We'll be picking up 1 Peter next Tuesday. Uh, but what I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you a, a little bit of a recap of some things we've covered in the past pertaining to the Feast of Trumpets this uh, actually coming up tomorrow at sundown, uh, and possibility of rapture and all that kind of stuff. And also, as you've heard me say before, and I'm going to say it again now for those that are listening to the recording, for the purposes of what is our biblical attitude and which, how should we look at the, this, these things. Um, what I want to do to start off with is to let you know that uh, looking to find out curiosity, if you will, about the return of Christ, or to figure out what prophecies are saying or pointing to, is not a bad thing. Think about the fact that if you look in the book of Daniel, you'll notice that a couple of times when Daniel's been given these visions, in chapter 7 you see him do it, in chapter 12 you see him do it, he'll say, when's this going to happen? How's this going to be? Now, of course, in those instances he was told, it's not for you to know. We also see in the book of uh, uh, Peter, as we'll get to in our study of Peter, it, it said the prophets who were being inspired of God to write their prophecies in the Old Testament longed and searched intently to find out what they were pointing to, what the Spirit of God through them was writing about. And so there's nothing wrong with looking at the Scriptures to find out what God might be saying prophetically. There's a danger that I want to spend some time tonight talking to you about. I want to whet your appetite. I'm going to get you a little excited. And then I'm at the same time say, calm down. Alright, so just be ready for that. Alright, I'm just going to tell you right now where we're going to go. The, the question I want to start off with tonight is, is there a possibility that Jesus could rapture His church on this Feast of Trumpets coming up in a day or so? The answer is yes. Exactly. But here, the, answer, the, the rest of the answer though is this. The rest of the answer is, don't expect it. We should expect the return of Jesus. We should expect Him to come for His, for his church. But I'm going to talk to you tonight about the danger of expecting it on a certain day, and I'll show you why biblically. But before that, let me just kind of throw out why we're even dealing with this. There have been a lot of uh, talk this, uh, this year especially, and people that look into prophecy and are looking at things that are happening in the world and all, and there are many things that do in our minds point to that, man, this could be, if, if Jesus chooses to rapture His church on the Feast of Trumpets, this might be the one. As you know, there are those uh, that understand that in, in the seven, giving of the seven feasts to the nation of Israel, that they were convocations or rehearsals or pictures of what was coming. And there were four in the spring and three in the fall. And there was a break between the spring and the fall. And Jesus in His coming first time, He fulfilled the first four feasts. He was crucified on the Feast of Passover, put in the tomb on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He rose from the dead on the Feast of first fruits, And on the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt the church. Then there was this break, if you will. And we are still waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And there are some that believe that Jesus will fulfill in His second coming the fall feast, which are the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of uh, uh, Day of Atonement of Yom, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, because of that, there are those that think the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, especially for those of us who believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And for those that want to talk about that, the best thing I can tell you is go to the website and go to the Book of Revelation study, and you'll see in there sections of those passages that deal with that. In the beginning of the study of the Book of Revelation, I deal with the pre-tribulational rapture of the church and why scripturally that is. And for those of you that would say, well, I've heard the arguments, you probably haven't heard the ones I do. I don't use the ones everybody else does. There's a lot of scriptural evidence. And one of the main ones being the distinction between the church and Israel. 
And understanding in Scripture the distinction between the church and Israel will keep you from falling into the replacement theology danger, will keep you from uh, uh, trying to read the church into passages that only talk about the tribulation and, and, and the second coming of the literal second coming to the earth, which is different from the rapture of the church. But for those of us who believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, there are some that think that the Feast of Trumpets is when he's going to do it. Now, as you're going to hear me say in a little bit, there's a danger to try to be date-specific, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But some of the reason why people think that is there's so many things that are pointing to this fall. And I'm just going to hit a few of them real fast, just for your curiosity's sake. But I'm doing this in the hopes that you're mature enough to not, not hear everything else I say and try to think that this is it. But just to let you know why people are pointing in this direction, why people are starting to think this way, is because there are a lot of things that Jesus said that kind of make you wonder. You know, for years we've been hearing people say that Jesus said no one knows the day of the hour. And there are those that say that that actually points to the Feast of Trumpets. Because it's the only feast you don't know the day or the hour. All the other feasts start at sundown on a certain day. But in the Feast of Trumpets, at sundown this year on the 28th of September... The feast will only begin when the priests go out after sundown, and when they see the first sliver of the new moon, that's when they come and they start blowing the trumpets and the feast begins. But if it's cloudy, and they can't see the new moon, the feast does not begin until they see it. Now, they have set the feast to cover at least two days to cover this. It doesn't, if it's like cloudy for a month, it doesn't wait for a month. But they've set it for at least two days, but you don't know the day nor the hour because it doesn't begin until they see the new moon. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus also said this, No one knows but my Father. Other people have said, well, that might also point to the Feast of Trumpets. For the fact that if you asked a young Jewish man back in that day who had just purchased his bride, who had, he was, remember, remember Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but they weren't legally married yet? They were, it was legally binding, but they weren't married? In the same way, you have the purchase of the bride. Her responsibility is to make herself ready. The groom goes back and prepares the wedding feast, but he's not allowed to go get his bride until his father says, you're ready, son. And the house. And the house. And, the house. and again, as she just pointed out, in the house, Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you so that you can be with me. Again, John 14, a lot of people don't realize, is a picture of the rapture. But at the same time, in this situation, if you were to ask a young man, hey, you purchased your bride, when's the wedding feast going to be? His answer was, no one knows but my father. So when Jesus said, no one knows the day of the hour, not the son, only the father, there's a chance. Please don't hear that that's what it means. I don't know. But there's a chance he might have been pointing to the Feast of Trumpets. Jesus also said when he was talking in Matthew about the signs to look for that the end of the world was coming. That Remember his disciples asked him, what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus went into saying, well, make sure they don't deceive you. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and pestilences and false Christs and so on. And he lists all the things all the way right up until his literal coming to the earth at the end of the tribulation period. And then he makes it a very interesting statement. He said, uh, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its leaves come out, you'll know that summer's near, even at the door. This generation shall not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Now, theologians have wrestled with this for a while now, saying, well, what was he talking about? Was he talking about the generation that heard him speak? Well, that generation's gone. Does generation mean mankind? Possibly. Or was he talking about the generation that sees the fig tree rebud? Do you remember, all through the Scriptures, Israel has been pictured as the fig tree. Remember, as he was walking to Jerusalem, during that last week before he went to the cross, there was a fig tree. And it looked like it should have been producing, but it hadn't. And what did he do? 
He cursed it. It was a picture of what was about to happen to the nation of Israel because of their rejection of the Messiah and they're being scattered to all the nations, as the Bible said. We're now living in a time period where we've seen the fig tree rebud miraculously. No nation in the history of the world has ever been out of their land for over two to three hundred years and ever made it back in. The nation of Israel was out of the land for almost two thousand years, folks, and now they're again. They exist. One of the things I use to talk to people about this when I travel around and speak about it is I ask them this, and I'll ask you the same question. How many of you know any Moabites? How many of you know any Ammonites? How come one of the tiniest nations on the earth that pretty much through most of their history the world has been trying to annihilate? How do they still exist? And not only that, how do they miraculously have made it back into that land? God. Remember Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Was he talking about the generation that sees the fig tree rebud? Some people think that's what he meant. Again, we don't know. Remember, prophecy is so that you put it in your heart. And that if you're alive when the prophecy comes to pass and God fulfills it and says this is the fulfillment, you'll know what is happening. We tend to look at prophecy to try to predict and I just say, be careful of that. There's nothing wrong with looking. There's nothing wrong with trying to search to see what the Scripture was saying and what the Spirit was saying. But if Jesus was talking about the generation that sees the fig tree rebud, then people start getting into, well, how long is the generation? Remember a man wrote a book back in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 88? He had done the math and he had figured it out that it was 88 because 1948 is when the fig tree rebutted. Generation's 40 years. Well, he got that from Psalm 95, verse 10, where God says, I was angry with that generation for 40 years and they suffered in the wilderness. Well, he didn't say a generation was 40 years. He just said he was angry with the generation for 40 years. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, you'll see that it says there were 14 generations from so-and-so to so-and-so and 14 generations from so-and-so to so-and-so and on. And if you actually do the historical research and the math, you'll find out that those generations added up to about 51.2.3 years. The Bible also says that man's limit is what? 120. Yet at the same time, he also says that it's three score and ten. Maybe three score and twenty if you have the strength. What if God sees a generation as 70 years? Seems to be a number he uses a lot, correct? I mean, if you even look at the prophecy in Daniel when he's given the toll that 77s are decreed for the nation of Israel in Jerusalem, that was all tied to the fact that Daniel was sitting there reading the prophecy of Jeremiah that the nation of Israel was going to be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And he realized that the math was showing that time was coming to an end. So he began to pray about the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And Gabriel came and said, look, let me give you an answer. 77s are decreed for the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And he starts from the decree to rebuild the walls rebuild the city up until the Messiah comes and all that was fulfilled literally to the day and you can do the math you can do the research to the day there's one seven that's left remember the anointed one was cut off and will have nothing and then you can see in the prophecy there's a break and that says that at some point he the Antichrist we know now from Revelation and other passages in Thessalonians is going to confirm a covenant with the many for one seven there's one seven left with the nation of Israel and we're in that time period. Remember Jesus came on the scene and He went into the hometown of Nazareth and he, and he read the prophecy from Isaiah where it says the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to, to heal the lame, and to preach the good news to the poor. And 
Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now interestingly, and we don't have the time to look there, if you were to go back and compare what Jesus said in the New Testament there, in the story of His account in His hometown of Nazareth in the synagogue, and the actual prophecy in Isaiah 61, you'll see that Jesus stopped in the middle of a sentence. He said he stopped where the prophecy said, Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The rest of the prophecy goes on to say, And the day of vengeance of our God. But he didn't finish the sentence. He stopped right there. I believe when he said, Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that's the age of grace, if you will, the, the church age. Paul even said in the book of Romans that during this time period, he's, put hardened, he's hardened Israel in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And we've been brought in to make Israel jealous, but he's not done with Israel. All Israel at the end of the tribulation is going to be saved. They're going to look on him whom they pierced. God's not done with Israel. And we're in that time period of saying, Lord, when is this church age coming to an end? When is the time of the Gentiles fulfilled? And if... If the number you choose to say this generation won't pass away until all these things have been fulfilled is 70. Remember, that doesn't mean it's 70. But if he chooses to do the number 70, can anybody do the math? I mean, 1948 plus 70 is what? 2018. Oh, but you got to subtract your seven years for the tribulation period. There's a possibility. If God chooses to do it on the Feast of Trumpets. And if that's the math he's planning on using, it could be this year. Again, I told you at the beginning, I'm going to get you excited and then tell you to calm down. (laughs) There are many, many other things, and I'll just hit a couple real quickly. On the Jewish calendar in the year 2014-2015, there's going to be four lunar eclipses, full lunar eclipses, and two full solar eclipses all in the same year. By the way, the last time that happened was 1948. Now here's what gets interesting though. Because of our ability to look at the NASA websites and know how that's all going to play out, because we can know how all the stars and the planets move around, we know that in the year 2014-2015 on the Jewish calendar, there's going to be four lunar eclipses and two solar eclipses. And by the way, when a full lunar eclipse happens, what color does the moon turn? Red. And what color does the sun turn? Sackcloth. Remember, Jesus said during the tribulation period there's going to be blood moons and sackcloth suns. Here's the part that's really interesting, folks. Every one of those... Remember, we haven't had four lunar eclipses and two solar eclipses all in the same year except since 1948 when the nation of Israel became a nation again. Every one of those fall on a feast day that year. Now there are those that say, could those be signs for the nation of Israel at the midpoint of the tribulation? We don't know. There are those who are getting pretty excited about what's going to happen possibly in a couple of days. And now I have to tell you, be excited, but don't be too excited. Because we are to spend our time tonight looking at the Scripture as to how the Bible says we are to be looking at this. So, is there a possibility of the rapture occurring on this Feast of Trumpets? Yes. But don't expect it to happen on that day. And here's why. There's some dangers to expect the rapture to happen on a certain day. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. There's some dangers to expecting the rapture to happen on a certain day. Let's start off with just first of all, remembering our study a while back when we took a break in Hebrews, when it talked about it to encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching, and we did our study on this. Remember how I started it off. The difference between Matthew 24 and Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In Matthew 24, the disciples said, What are going to be the signs of your return in the end of the age? 
And Jesus didn't say none of your business. He gave them great detail about the signs to look for. But these same guys, go to Acts chapter 1. Go, and these same guys in Acts chapter 1, just a few weeks later, same guys asked Jesus this question. Because He was standing on the Mount of Olives and they knew the prophecy in Zechariah said that at some point Jesus was going to stand on the Mount of Olives and the Millennial Kingdom was going to begin. And it says in verse 6, standing on the Mount of Olives, when they met together, they asked Him, Lord, are You at this time going to restore the Kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. Do you see that? Oh, by the way, God has set the day. Go to Acts chapter 17 real quick and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 17. Look at verses 29-31. Therefore, Paul speaking to the Areopagus there in Mars Hill, he says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, for He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Has the day of judgment been set? Yeah. It's been set. But it's not for us to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority. What are we to be looking for? Signs that it's close. The problem is, so many signs seem to point to this fall, we start getting excited and think, it's going to be this fall. You can't go there. Because when you do that, you... Move from looking at signs to trying to set dates. And what did he say about setting dates? You're not to do that. Well, here's what, some reason why. When you set a day that you think the rapture is going to occur, even though you think you can prove it, you remove a biblical doctrine of imminence. I'm going to clarify this for you, but I'm going to say it again. If you set a day that you think it's going to occur, you remove a biblical teaching of imminence. Remember, all the way through Scriptures, and I'm going to give you a bunch tonight. We're going to look at them. All the way through Scriptures, we see that when the New Testament church was told to be ready for the Lord's return, they were told that it was to happen when? At any time. To be ready. Paul, a lot of times, even wrote like it was going to happen in his lifetime. That's why the, he had to write letters to the Thessalonian church because people were dying and they thought that they were going to miss out on the return of the Lord. And so Paul said, let me just explain to you about these people that have already gone to be with him. They're going to come with him when he comes and gets us. But I don't want you to be concerned because someone had said that they'll miss out on the day of the Lord. So the church had been taught to expect it at any moment. And I want to show you how the scripture teaches that. Go with me real quick to uh, Mark chapter 13. But like I said, if we think that it's going to be on a certain day, if we think we figured out what day it is, we remove the biblical doctrine of imminence. Mark 13, verses 32 through 37. We're going to look at five here. So, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes when? Suddenly. Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Again, we see in here, 
he's just simply saying, you need to be ready. It could happen at any time. But if you think it's going to happen on a certain day, you remove this doctrine of any time. Let me show you some more. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. It said, The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven who raised Him from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's interesting. A couple of things here. There are those that try to teach that the church will go through the tribulation. And the rapture is the same thing we see as the gathering of the elect at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the tribulation period. But I don't believe that those are the two same things for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus said, I will come back and get you. Correct? Remember that? John 14, I'll come back and get you. Uh, we see in 1 Thessalonians 4 that at the rapture, Jesus will come in the clouds with those who have already gone to be with Him. Their bodies will come up out of the ground. We who are alive will be caught up. But it says the Lord Himself will come. In Matthew 24, the Bible says God sends the angels to gather the elect at the end of the tribulation period. There's a difference. Do you understand? But there are those who try to say that the church will go through the tribulation period, either halfway or all the way through, and that what we look at as the pre-tribulational rapture is actually the same thing as the second coming, and He'll gather us at that point. There's a lot of reasons scripturally why we don't need to go there. But it also, He says here, He doesn't say to wait for that horrible time period and then Him get you. He said to be looking for His return. And what? He's going to rescue us from the wrath that's coming. So again, there's a picture in the Scriptures of imminence. It could happen at any time. And Oh, by the way, you're going to find in a little bit why that's important. Because Jesus, He knows His kids. Alright, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 35 through 39. The Hebrew writer says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I won't be pleased with him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Again, you see the picture of the imminence at any time. He's coming. Be ready. Be watching. He's coming. Let me give you a couple more real quick. Just go over one book to the book of James, chapter 5. Look at verses 7 through 9. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So here we see the Lord telling us through James to be patient, yet it's still close. Now I'm going to give you one more passage and I want to ask you a question. We're going to open it for a little discussion here. But go to 1 Peter, just one more book over. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. I want to open this up for a little bit of discussion here. We don't want to take too, too much time. I want to throw it out for discussion. Why doesn't God tell us when it's going to happen. I mean, He knows. 
It's already been set. Why doesn't He tell us when He's going to come and get us? Any idea? Okay, boldly and urgently. And, and there's a part of that, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. What would we do if we knew what day it was? We would be what? We'd be slothful until right about that time. Hey, let's be honest, alright? Y'all been to school. There's probably only a few of us who are the weirdos in this room who did their test work ahead of time or wrote the paper way before. Most of us, show of hands. How many of you most likely, when it was time to write the paper, was at the last minute? Was it not? I don't got enough hands to put in the air. I'm the master at writing it and getting it. I mean, it's still warm when I hand it to the professor. And, and by God's grace, I got good grades. But my first write and my rewrite and my final presentation were all the same thing. God knows His children. If He told us what day it would be, some of us will be buying stuff we can't afford and saying, let the devil pay for it, right? He knows us. And He's saying, you need to be watching, you need to be ready. And we're going to look at some scriptures in the end here about how we're to be living. But if He told us what day it would be, it really wouldn't be that good. wouldn't be that good. There are also some other perils to date setting. If I said the name Harold Camping, not only you, but people who don't know anything about God know the name Harold Camping. Do they not? Unfortunately, now, Harold Camping is known as a false prophet. Correct? You know, the Bible gives some serious warnings about false prophets, does it not? And because we don't know, even though we might have got it all figured out, I mean, I only gave you half of the stuff that point to the possibility of this fall. But even with all that stuff, I could spend two, three hours tonight showing you the many things that all point to the possibility of this fall. Even with all that, we still don't know. Because of that, we cannot set the day. And if you try and set a day, even as well-intentioned as you may be, and then that day passes, because you're not God, your witness and your testimony will be hurt, will it not? I mean, what else are you going to lie to me about? That's why I told you, if anybody walks out of here after that last study we did a while back and said, Jim says, I'll hunt you down. I want to keep preaching. If he doesn't come get us for a while, I want to keep preaching. The Bible says when we get to heaven, I won't get to preach anymore. There'll be no more prophecy. I'm dealing with it. <laughs> Knew you were going to make a paintbrush joke, Duke. Let me just tell you, Duke had uh, cataract surgery. He showed up at the place I was speaking at lunch today with these dark sunglasses. And we had a lot of fun because we talked about how Paul was knocked off his donkey, you know, when Jesus blinded him. And then here we noticed that the donkey got hit. So, uh, but, let me just say it to you this way. If you think that the rapture is date specific, Let's say, it doesn't have to be Feast of Trumpets. Let's say you figured it out that it's going to be on July 22nd. And then July 22nd comes and goes. According to your theology, you've got to wait another whole year. Does any of us want to live with that kind of an anticipation? That I've got to wait another year for the possibility of His coming to get me? I don't want to live like that. I love the fact that it could happen any day. And like you were saying, part of the reason also is so that we will, because we don't know, where do we stay 
busy doing what we're supposed to be doing. He knows the day, folks, and it's set. And he knows his kids real well. And he doesn't tell us for a reason. So, is it wrong to look at the prophecies and see what they might be pointing to? No. Many people have done it in the Scriptures, and it's not wrong. But, it's wrong when you think you've turned it into a specific day. Alright? Let me take one more thing here. Well, let's just jump to... Go right ahead. But is there, there is a question there mm-hmm. that I think that even practically, I've mentioned this before, practically speaking, when it's one day on one side of the world, it's another day on the other side of the world. So mm-hmm. so actually, even for God to be able to to give us that, the book would be thicker than we could possibly read. There's a whole lot of other stuff in and all, but even if we knew what day it were, if it were to start in Jerusalem or whatever, we would still be able to know what day it was here. You know? I still can't figure out Greenwich Mean Time, but somebody can. <laughs> somebody can. Uh, Jim, didn't he say the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then? Okay, but let me tell you, um, I'm going to throw something out about that passage. That has been used a lot, especially in Baptist circles, and I am Baptist, yeah. um, to say that the, the, the return, Jesus won't come back until the gospel is preached to the whole world. Yeah. I'm going to give you three things that, to, to think on about that passage. Uh, one is, there's a possibility it has already in one sense. I mean, a few years back, Billy Graham actually preached via satellite to the entire world. Some people say that was the fulfillment. Don't know. The Bible also says that uh, at the beginning of the tribulation, he's going to seal 144,000 Jewish witnesses, and they're going to go out and preach the gospel to the whole world. And we also see at the end of the book of Revelation, right before the very end, an angel goes and preaches the everlasting gospel to the whole world. There's a strong possibility those could be the fulfillments of that. It doesn't have to be us. Creation. Creation speaks as well. But creation reveals who God is. But this is the everlasting gospel in that sense. And so I actually think personally that that will be fulfilled by the angel in the book of Revelation. Do you think God's waiting on us? How about the temple? What about the temple? Is it supposed to be rebuilt? Uh, it, It most likely will have to be rebuilt before Jesus steps foot on the earth, but not before the rapture. See, the rapture and the second coming are two different things. Folks, let me just throw something out to you. Just because we've done the math and we think the rapture might happen this year and then 2018 ends the 70 years, that doesn't mean anything. There could be a long time period between the rapture and the actual beginning of the, sec- of the tribulation period. The Bible says that that only begins when the covenant is confirmed with the many. There might be a time period between the two. We don't know. There are a lot of things, to be honest with you, that, that I don't fully understand how that's all going to play out yet, but the Bible says very clearly that Babylon is going to be the center of everything in the last days. It's going to be the headquarters of the Antichrist kingdom. It's going to be the center of world trade, everything. Now, that might happen within a seven-year period. I don't know. A lot of things can happen quickly after we're gone as the world gets together. But I don't know how that's all going to play out. There might be a time period between the rapture. Just because it fits into our calculators, don't think you've got to figure it out. We don't. We don't. So what should our biblical response be? That's what I want to do in the time that we have left here. Keep track of our time for those that are listening online. Uh, For what should our biblical response be? Let's go to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures now. And I hope you take a few notes and then take some time to go chew on these passages. Because I do not have time to teach on each of them the way I want to. Luke chapter 19 verses 11 through 13. while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. 
We all have that tendency, don't we? He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now the King James says, Occupy until I come. In other words, be busy with what it is I've called you to do and gifted you to do until I come back. So what are we to be doing? What should we be doing while we look for the return of Jesus Christ? His business, whatever it is that He's gifted us to do. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Folks, let me just tell you, He doesn't want us sitting on the roof of our houses waiting for His return. He wants us to be doing what it is that He's called us to do and gifted us to do until He comes. And we're not going to turn there, but Jesus said, it'll be good for that servant that his master finds him so doing when He comes. So between now and then... Be looking for it. But be busy doing what He's asked you to do. Because most of us, if we knew the day, let's be honest, we'd all go to our little Christian retreat center and sing Kumbaya until it happened, wouldn't it? We'd roast marshmallows probably in the meantime. Be busy with what it is. Let me show you another passage. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Paul says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Now there's a couple things I want to point out. Here we see not only the emphasis on using your spiritual gift. And by the way, when he says you don't lack any spiritual gift, he wasn't talking to an individual. He was talking to the church there in Corinth. Alright? God has designed it that all of our gifts working together fulfill all the requirements and all that we need. Individually, you don't have every spiritual gift. But at the same time, he not only emphasizes using your spiritual gifts, but he also talks about blamelessness and a focus on fellowship with Jesus. In other words, what I want to say to you is this. Instead of sitting around waiting for Jesus to come get you, why don't you fellowship with Him now? Amen. But too many Christians say, I can't wait until Jesus comes and I get to see Him face to face and I get to go be with Jesus and He's with you now. Amen. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm, I'm going to send you a comforter, a help me. Love that. It was God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, and He created a helpmeet for him. So you got to have a relationship. And the Bible says that God has given us a paraclete, one to come alongside to indwell us. Jesus Himself is living in you. Too many Christians are waiting for Jesus to come when they get to see Jesus, when Jesus is within you, and you can walk with Him and talk with Him. We all love to sing the old hymn, but nobody does it. So don't sit around saying, I can't wait till Jesus comes. He's there now. And Owen, please stop saying where two or three more are gathered. If you're by yourself, Jesus is there. And oh, by the way, in the context of that passage, it was in Matthew 18 where it says that. Jesus is dealing with, dealing with church discipline. 
And those who weren't listening, when you went to your brother, if you had a problem, go see your brother. If he doesn't listen, bring somebody with you. If he doesn't, then you listen to the church. And then he says, where two or three or more are gathered, for that purpose, I'm there. In other words, I'm giving you my permission, my authority to deal with church discipline. In the context, that's all it's talking about. But too many of us are saying, well, there's a couple of us here, so Jesus is with us. Where's your theology? Who's preaching at your church? Jesus is in you, folks. Don't sit around waiting for Him to come get you. Enjoy Him today. Oh, and by the way, the more you do, the more you find out He's really fun to be around. And you fall more and more in love with Him. You fall more and more in love with Him. And this blamelessness stuff, He starts to work on. I used to think that I had to do it so I could get into His presence. And He says, oh no, Jim, just come play with me. I will take care of that part. Did you see how He reads? Look at verse uh, 7. Therefore you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Savior, Lord, Savior Lord Jesus to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. He'll confirm you to the end. So folks, instead of saying, I'm waiting for Jesus to come get me, spend time with Him today, tomorrow. Hang out with Him. Hang out with Him. And oh, by the way, He will make you ready for His return. Go to Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Here it says, live holy and obedient lives as if Jesus could come any minute. Does anybody know why? Yeah, because it can come any minute, but there's more to it than that. Uh, in Revelation chapter 22, look at it later on, verse 12. Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Did you catch that? He's coming to reward us for our faithful obedience to His Word, being used of Him. That's why we need to be busy. If He's coming and His reward is with Him, and we're sitting on the roof of the house in the white robe waiting for Him to come... He's not going to be bringing much. But if you are faithful to be believing that He's coming, living life with a relationship, a fellowship with Jesus, He's making you into what He wants you to be. He's conforming you to the image of His Son. He's finishing what He started. He's doing His work through you. When He comes, He'll reward you generously. And so that's why I want to be found busy when He comes. Because He said His reward is with Him. So, I, I... Picturing Jesus with his arms full. When you speak of busyness, you're not speaking of your busyness. No, I'm not you're talking of the busyness of God that He has given you to do. That's a really good point, Jim. I'm glad you brought that out. Listen closely to what I'm saying. When you hear the word busy, I, I want to. I'm glad you brought that out. I want to clarify this because too many of us Christians think that our definition of busy is a spiritual badge of honor. When you say you're another Christian, I don't. I'm busy, and we think by telling someone we're busy. We're working hard and we're doing a lot. And I actually have found that actually the opposite of what the Bible teaches, that we're to be living in a state of rest. 
we're to be actually having God accomplish much through us as we do what He's asked us to do, but we're not busy. Jesus never was in a hurry. The only time you even see in the Bible God running is in Luke chapter 16 where He runs, I'm sorry, 15, where He runs to greet the prodigal son. <laughs> you know, Jesus was never in a hurry, but He was always at His Father's work. So when I say busy, I'm not saying frantic or like Martha. I'm saying just be doing what it is He's asked you to do at the pace He's asked you to do it. And I found it's a lot slower than the church thinks it is. One of the things that has hurt the church over the years has been what happened to the church right after the gold rush. You see, prior to the gold rush in the United States, there were no, not a whole lot of, uh, let's just say time clocks. Everybody worked on the farm and you had work to do and you did it and you would take a break and fish for a little bit then you beg and milk. And, and, but after the gold rush, everybody went out west to go find gold and then after that kind of went out, we started moving into the industrial age here in America. And in the industrial age, all of a sudden you stopped working for yourself and everybody started to work for somebody else. And when that started to happen, people started to punch time clocks. And when that started to happen, it started to affect the church. And the things you started to see all of a sudden in the church prior to that, you didn't see office hours, or the pastor expected to be at the church so many hours. And I've heard too often in my 20 plus years of pastoring, well, I've got to put in 40 plus hours a week and then do church stuff. I expect the pastor to do the same. And all of a sudden over the years, we think busyness, the wrong kind of busyness, is an honor, and it's not. It's not. So I'm glad you pointed that out, Jim. Thank you. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Again, you see it. Therefore, prepare your minds for what? Action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Again, we see the picture. What should our attitude be? We should be doing what God's asked us to do when He comes. Until He comes. But here's the last one I want to show you, and then I want to talk one, one little kind of wrap up. Go to one more last passage. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This one's my favorite of all of them. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. He just finished teaching about the love of money and the being the root of evil. It says in verse 11, But you men of God flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my favorite part. Which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honor and might forever. Amen. He says, He wants us to, as I have my notes here, flee the love of things of this world, pursue the evidence of the Spirit living through you, hang on to faith and in God and His promises, 
And Jesus will appear in God's own time. And then here's how he wraps it all up in this last little part about unapproachable light. Remember, God's perfect in all he does. So if he chooses to not come get you in the next 48 hours, everything he does is perfect. Did you hear me? Amen. If we're here next Tuesday and we're starting First Peter, everything he does is perfect. Fanny Crosby put it well. This I know, whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. So how does he want us to live? Expecting, looking, watching, but just be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Enjoying him now, not waiting until then to enjoy him. Is there anything else that we're supposed to do? And I'm going to throw one other thing. I could come up with a lot more, but for the sake of what I think God wants us to do for tonight, here's what I also want you to do. If you really believe that His return is close, and I know most of you do, and I do as well, please make it a massive part of your prayer life between now and then to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6 says that we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. By the way, when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're not praying for the Antichrist's false seven-year peace treaty that he'll break at three and a half years. We're praying for Jesus to return because real peace in Israel will never occur until Jesus himself comes and sets up his kingdom. And if we believe that his return for us is soon, that means that next on the prophetic calendar is what? The beginning of the tribulation period and God refining the nation of Israel and judging the nations. If that's what's next for them... We need to be praying for our brothers. And be understanding that they're not going to have it easy until Jesus Himself comes back. So as we say, Lord, come get us quickly, we're also at the same time saying, Lord, start the tribulation quickly, are we not? We need to understand that that's what's happening for them. And to be in this process, be praying for the nation of Israel and watching what's going on. And read your Bible and know the prophecies. Keep watching the signs. But don't try to figure the day. Don't try to figure the day. It'll get you in trouble. What was that last Psalm? Psalm 122, verse 6. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for the chance to come and to study your word and to have you speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the fact that there's a room full of people here that are hungry for you and your word and your truth who are looking for your return. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, you know everybody's heart in here. And it would be easy for us just to assume that everybody knows you, but you know what's going on. Lord, if you brought somebody here tonight that doesn't know you yet, that has not put their full faith in what you've accomplished for them already, and you're paying for their sins on the cross, and rising from the dead to show that you're the one who's going to be the one that comes to judge, Lord, tonight, may they not leave this room without trusting you as their Savior. Turning from their sin and asking you to cover everything that they've done and believing that you'll give them eternal life. And that when you come and get those who believe in you, that you'll come and get them. And Lord, if uh, you come and get us between now and next Tuesday, I don't think anybody here will have a problem with it. But at the same time, if we're all here next Tuesday night and we start First Peter, may we continue to praise you just as much because you do all things perfect. And we trust you. And you've waited this long so we could come to know you. May we not begrudge anybody else that you're waiting patiently until they come to know you as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.